0: This is Friday Night Frights, brought to you by Starburst Magazine. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Frights, the weekly horror podcast from Starburst Magazine. I'm John Tolson, and my guest tonight is Bradley Scott Sullivan, director of I Didn't Come Here to Die.
1: This is it, guys. Last stop for the
0: next 50 miles. Go on, we're going to leave in 15 minutes. I Didn't Come Here to Die follows the outrageous misfortunes of a group of volunteers who set up camp in the woods to work on a project for kids. Too much booze and a bizarre accident with a tree branch sparks a series of absurd events and spiralling violence. Playing like some deranged public information film from the 1970s on the dangers of outdoor activities, I Didn't Come Here to Die is nothing if not original, and proof that it's still possible to take a camera into the woods and come up with something fresh and unpredictable. Director Bradley Scott Sullivan also shot and edited the movie, and I spoke to him about his feature debut.
2: And the whole genesis of the idea of the movie came from, uh, I I served in a volunteer organization similar to the one in the movie. Um, I thought so, yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, it's different, it's just kind of based on it, uh, the one I was doing, I mean, there was a lot more people, you know,
1: it,
2: it was a little more well-organized and everything. You have to make, mm. you know, make some consolations for a movie, especially a low-budget one. So we we would travel to 14 people. I had to narrow it down to like six for the movie. And But um, we really did travel, do volunteer work. We were stuck with power tools. Um, we had a project where we were out, where we lived in the woods for three months in tents and, um, and, it really didn't have any other towns nearby for like 100 miles or so and really did rely on satellite phones and things like that. So, you know, the characters and everything are kind of amalgamations of people from that and um, other people that I've met throughout life and, and things like that. But really the, the awful, terrible accidents and everything that happens are just kind of my hypochondriatic nature <laughs> playing out what could have gone wrong you know, uh, while we were out there. Because I, I'm a, I you know, I'm a, grew up interested in films and movies. I avoided manual labor my whole life up until then. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're thrust out in the wilderness, and they throw a chainsaw in your hand. And, you know, it, my brain just goes to, oh, my God, here's the 10,000 ways I could die from this. And sure. so the movies, uh, just me playing that out uh, uh, in a hopefully a fun way.
0: Well, the film kind of spirals out of control, doesn't it, in the sense that uh, these, the situation just builds and builds in terms of its absurdity. How, how did you approach the script writing once you, once you got the idea for the film? How did you kind of sit down and develop it?
2: Um, well, unfortunately, I'm not a very disciplined writer. I need to learn to just sit down in front of the computer and just force yourself like a regular job, just those hours a day you're sitting there. Um. So it all what I did when I was developing the movie is I would just go for walks and just think about it, play it out in my head. I probably looked like a crazy person because I'd just be talking kind of out loud or mumbling to myself. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, it took a while to kind of break the story uh, because for the longest time, you know, it it being a horror movie, I said, well, what is the element? You know, I had the the setup and the premise, but I said, what? Where does the horror element come in? So, what is it? Are they working on an ancient burial ground? Does one of the people get possessed? Is there a you know a angry hillbillies out in the woods? And whenever I would go down those paths, none of it excited me. I'd always just get angry and you know shove it aside and say that's just stupid. Well, I wouldn't want to see that movie. And then uh, finally, one day, I just said, "Well, what if there wasn't um, a, a killer at all? What if it was just by people's own." uh, misdoings. And when I started thinking about that and what it could spiral and lead into, it just was so much more fun to think about and write that, uh, it, it really wrote itself from there.
0: Well, you shot uh, the film in Texas, uh, around partly around Austin. What was uh, behind the decision to do that?
2: Um, it was strictly just based on the fact that that's where I was uh, living at the time right. And I had met a bunch of Austin's a very film-friendly town. A lot yeah. of people who are interested in independent film, in particular, um, live down there. And I had just met the right group of people that are interested in film. You know, I met uh, the composer down there, and um, he also did the the sound on the movie recorded on set, and all these people just interested in making the movie, and everything happened to be right there, and someone knew where we could get a location, and so uh and and we had so little money and so little time that it just worked out that was the only way that we could um could do it i, I originally when i was thinking about it it was it would take place in a much more lush forest environment mm. but um you know i think texas worked too i think uh, there's a, a creepiness to how mm. dry and desolate uh it it is so mm. but yeah originally it was just a, just based on circumstance at the time
0: sure and obviously Austin is uh, a town that is kind of, as you say, it's a film town. It's very rich with film references. Obviously, one of the, one of the references uh, in your film, at least one that I picked up, I don't know if it was a deliberate one, but there's Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there, which is kind of referred to in a very offhand, kind of offbeat way was that an intentional thing i mean you've already talked a little bit about not wanting to go down the conventional routes of backwards horror or supernatural horror um, but the, uh, it does seem to have kind of references to those things in a very clever way but was that an intentional thing on your part
2: you know there's a lot of references references and uh, things that people point out that yeah. uh, uh, you know somewhat are intentional and sometimes i think they just get built into your psyche from you know yeah. seeing films and, and and putting there in certain ways of doing things just like um, there's a, a, a music cue at the end that everyone is 100 certain is a uh an homage to friday the 13th
1: mm-hmm.
2: but when i asked you know I, I didn't even notice it when i had been watching the movie and then i went and asked the composer I said, did you, you know, was that a take? Your kind of take on that? And uh, he's like, oh no, you know, I've never seen those movies. He's not really into horror films, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, I don't know what it is. Everyone reads their own thing. I mean, definitely Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. I'm sure indirectly there wasn't any. You know, is you're trying to set up your own thing, you don't want to have people think that you're copying anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing. So. Anything that's in there from that movie particular might be somewhat unintentional, or just just from the sake of, of seeing other other films that were influenced by it and everything. And you can't help but have little things that cross over. I mean, the films that really directly influenced it are probably a little more modern. The movie comes off very retro, but I mean, some of the films that we watched to prepare for the film were uh, like Cabin Fever. Yeah. There's a couple of direct influences uh and homages in there, and um high tension
0: yeah
2: um uh, a movie that, that didn't come out here in the u s yet, but all the boys love Mandy Lane uh-huh. actually shot at the same gas station that right. we stopped at in the beginning right. um and and actually uh, Danny Boyle's movie shallow Grave is right. probably the, the one of the larger direct influences mm. Because, in there
0: because you take a genre and then you kind of spin it around as well and i, I know that uh, i didn't come here to die has also been kind of likened to an israeli horror film called rabies have you mm-hmm. seen that have you seen that film
2: i did see it uh, they both played at the um, mile high horror film festival in um, denver colorado in 2011 so yeah i got to see it there um i i thought it was a great film i really enjoyed it um you know i've seen that come up a lot and what's Mm -hmm. tough now is um you know it also uh, people uh, compare the the setup and premise to tucker and dale so i see that more than anything is rabies and tucker and dale and what's tough is that because i didn't come here to die is kind of getting distribution at the tail end of those films those have come out it almost feels like now uh like its own subgenre, and that we're tailing on the, you know, people you know, undo themselves and they're the, the enemy or they're the slasher type thing. Whereas all the movies, if you, you know, you check on IMDb or something, we all kind of shot at like the same time. And just the nature of them being independent films, mm. it just takes a long time for them to come out. But, sure. um, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought Rabies was a, a really fantastic film and Tucker and Dale.
0: Yeah. Well, the only reason I brought it up really, apart from some of the similarities, was the fact that, um your film along with that very cleverly sort of sets up uh what seems to be a very hackneyed premise but then spins it into something completely unpredictable and original so you know kudos to you for for doing that i think it's a you know a great a great film that certainly made me gasp as i was watching it and thinking <laughs> how how on earth did he come up with that you know so that that, that you know it's very rare that you see a film that does that um but can you tell us a little bit about your background what what sort of led up to the point of you making this which is your debut feature
2: um yeah i just uh i at, at, at what was i twenty two or something I decided to move down to uh austin because that was kind of what my my idol growing up was always Robert Rodriguez, you know, and I had known I had wanted to make a an independent, low-budget feature on my own since the beginning of time from reading his book in high school and seeing his movies and listening to those commentaries. So I didn't really know what to do. I knew I couldn't afford to go to L.A., and it seemed kind of scary because I come Mm. from a small town in Wisconsin. So I said, well, maybe I'll make a baby step with going to Austin. Um, So I went out there, and I, I worked as a production assistant on some films. I was actually able to work on a Robert Rodriguez movie a children's flick that he did called Shorts, and yeah. and some other films out there, and then that uh, got me into. I was able to work as a production assistant on a film out in Los Angeles, and because I had some of my own camera equipment and everything, it came up. I volunteered to shoot some behind the scenes on that film, and um, the people were happy with those, and I was asked to do some more videos and everything. And by the time that production was over, the producer on this this bigger film, uh, said, you know, well, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm going back to Austin, and I really want to try to get this little movie made. And mm-hmm. she had liked what I had done for their film so much, she said, oh, I'd love to read it. And when she read the script, she said, well, let's, let's do this. Let's get this made. I had a budget planned out and everything. And so that was, that was Kim Waltrip. Mm. Who, and and um, so she produced the movie, and then um, we've worked together on uh, some other projects uh, since.
0: Great, and you also shot the film, Um, and as you said, you gave it a sort of a bit of a retro look, a bit of a nineteen seventies look. Can you tell us tell us about the process of acting as your own DOP as well as directing? What what were you, what was your intention with the with the filming? Because it does have a very distinctive look, um, a very sort of has a, a strange sort of tinge to it. Can you? describe the process for us a little bit
2: yeah i mean with indie film i think it's always about you know working within your limits because in my head it, in my head originally when you're thinking about the movie and you have an unlimited budget and you're kind of playing it out this movie was going to be kind of my take on you know the 90s slashers like scream or i know what you did last summer yeah. and urban legend and all that kind of thing so i always saw it as a very sleek very clean Kind of movie, and then as you start realizing, well, I have less and less money and less and less time. You you start working around it, and uh, and so it became what it is, just out of uh, a necessity. But in in a way that I love too, because I love you know uh, low budget, kind of shaky, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type filmmaking, Mm -hmm. and uh, and so yeah, would I be my own DOP again? I, I don't know. It was kind of a of necessity there too. Of you know, we don't have the budget uh, to hire a separate DOP, and and I know how to work a camera, and just trying to get the. We shot the whole movie in in seven days. Was all yeah. we had. Mm-hmm. So uh, it it was just I knew what shots I needed and what I could do, and in that amount of time, and and we did it. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if the film would have benefited from its own separate cinematographer, but I don't think the movie would have got done. Yeah. Uh, had, yeah. had I not done that. But in future films, I would probably love to have other people stepping into the other, other roles. The only thing I could see wanting to do again is, is edit. I love uh, the editing process and figuring mm. the movie out from there. But there's much more talented uh, directors of photography than myself out there.
0: Well, the, the actors are all very strong. How did you come up with the cast?
2: Uh, that was a thing, too. Of, I had only shot short films up until yeah. we made this movie, um, and I was always kind of scared to work with actors. I mean, I was very... I always felt very strongly about the technical side of filmmaking, uh, and the shooting and the editing and, and special effects and that kind of stuff. But actors, real-life people, you know, especially in today's social media world, interacting with real people, that's the scary part <laughs> of things. So, um, So that was kind of a scary process, and I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really have any actor friends, so mm. we just... Uh, Austin, again, film-friendly town, so luckily there were a lot of outlets to go through. So mm. we posted on the Texas Film Commission site mm-hmm. and some other websites and Craigslist and all these various things. And yeah. we were able to get a, the back room of a coffee shop rented out for, for free for a couple hours. Mm. And um, we just held auditions over the course of like two days, had had people come in. We videotaped them and um, and then narrowed it down once we had it. You know, some people came in and they were just exactly the right person, like uh, Mm. Jeremy Vandermeer, who plays the character Steve in the movie. Like, when we saw him, there was nobody else for that. But uh, once we had it narrowed down a little more, we had a little um, apartment we rented as a production office, and uh, we had callbacks there and emailed the final tapes off to the producer in L.A. And, you know, she said, okay, I like this one, this one, this one, and we all talked about it and narrowed it down from there.
0: Mm did you rehearse with the actors beforehand because it it does seem as though they're all very kind of working together in an ensemble very well
2: um other than we had a a a read-through of the film um in the production office before we shot one read-through and really we only had uh, maybe two weeks of pre-production and only a week total of production yeah so there wasn't really that much rehearsal I mean we kind of would shoot the rehearsals we would uh, did the read through which is really interesting process because you know that the read through is the first time you really hear other people's interpretation of what your tone is or what you want it to be and sometimes it's drastically different you go oh well this is why this is why you're called a director now you have to bring it back to what's going to work on, on the screen but yeah, no, once we were on set, you know, they generally had the idea and we just kind of shot the rehearsals and would just tweak things from there. But other than, you know, blocking and saying this is where you need to be for this. And what was nice about being the DOP on that too was that I could move around the performance a lot of time. I'd say just just go. I need to just stick in this general area, but I'm I'm cool with moving around. I, I shot wedding videos for mm. Uh, years and years, so yeah. I was very used to on the go, on the fly, you yeah. know, pulling your own focus, that type of
0: thing. Yeah, and you set up that style very well in right from the very opening scene, where you're kind of following the uh, the sheriff over his shoulder, and it's a very exciting and intriguing opening. Uh, but but your your use of the camera, I think, kind of emphasizes that. It's almost like combat photography in a way.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean that was out of again you know the the opening scene the kind of look and the grindhouse style of it yeah. i mean it's a lot rougher than what i originally intended it to be but again when you're shooting in seven that very first, that was the very first thing we shot or that was on the very first day mm. and the the guy playing the cop he was horribly sick had some kind of throat infection that day and his head was just clogged up and you know it's tough for him to remember his lines the sun's going down. Yeah, it's the first time all these people. None of us have ever shot a feature film. We don't know what the hell we're doing, and um, it was just trying to put it together. And the sun was going down. And when we got the footage back, we we're like, "Oh my goodness, you know, this is this is terrible. We can't work with this. You know, some of it's uh, it's so dark it seems unusable. Yeah, and it felt like we didn't ha- didn't have a movie. And then after playing with it for a while, we the grindhouse aesthetic for the beginning, we don't stick with it for the whole movie, but it, it pops up in the beginning and the end, was a way of, out of necessity, of making that footage work, because sure. otherwise it, it would have If you would have seen the raw footage, you would think it looks horrible. And we don't have any budget, we can't reshoot, we can't get people to come back down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But what ended up working for it was that we just played it further, because by setting up a false grindhouse aesthetic, by having the the scene itself at the very beginning sets up a false idea of the type of movie you're expecting. Sure. So he said, this is only taking it one step further. People are going to sit down and they say, oh, I'm in for another faux grindhouse film
1: Yeah,
2: uh, that is, uh, you know, supernatural, something's going on out here, and they think they know it's coming. So it just helped add to the um, the the false positive, you know, giving them a false lead, which hopefully makes the movie more fun because then you go, oh, it's not what I expected.
0: No, it, it definitely keeps you... Guessing, and I think that part of that is in the script writing as well because you have the girl wandering around who's been blinded and you, you kind of wonder who she is and why she is like that. In fact, you wonder if she she's alive at all or a ghost or a zombie. Uh, so it sets, sets it up very well in, in, in that respect. But just to speak about the editing briefly, you edited the film yourself. Did you have to make any major changes in the story? To accommodate some of the some of the uh, um, situations in the filming that uh, and changes you might have had to make because of the budget and the schedule and so on
2: um, most of any of the big changes were kind of made um, before we started shooting yeah there were some things that were in the script that I would have have liked to have done um, that just kind of made it feel bigger I, I mean, there's there's a whole the, the biggest thing was there was a whole scene with raccoons and animals kind of attacking the camp that is based on reality when we were really in this volunteer organization i mean raccoons at night would come and and trash your coolers and try to get into your food and it's really scary and i thought well that's a great horror scene without any actual monsters just mm. these real things yeah. but um You know, so that became, well, we can't have, you know, before we started shooting, that was, well, we can only have like three raccoons. And then it became, well, we can only have one. And then, but it'll look really good. And then when we went to go shoot it, it was, there was no like jaws type situation of shooting around the raccoon. It just, it looked like a hand puppet. (laughs) And I mean, we would have had to go, you know, trauma or something to, uh, it would have really thrown you out in the movie. So, yeah. So that was the biggest thing that was cut out. There are some slightly bigger set pieces
1: yeah.
2: and little things cut around and, and little bits. But other than that, the movie hasn't changed uh, drastically from from what the original, if you saw the very first cut of it, there's um, a couple extended scenes. There's another false kind of uh, lead with some hillbillies that they run into at the gas right. station yeah. that would kind of give you a red herring. Uh-huh. But other than that, it's, it's very similar.
0: And we were talking a little bit about the, the length of time it took for it to, to get distribution uh, for a film that's been very well received, very, very acclaimed. Um, finished it in 2010, I believe. Um, so can you tell us, just to kind of finish off, what was the, the route that it took uh, to, from being finished into getting into distribution?
2: Um, yeah, so we, we shot it in late 2009. It uh, premiered at uh, festivals in late 2010, and um, you know straight off the bat, we got some really positive uh, word of mouth from uh, Bloody Disgusting and and some other sites and everything yeah. off the bat. And from all that word of mouth, we actually got represented right away by like a fairly big Hollywood agency, and we we're like, oh wow, this is this is crazy, mm-hmm. um, this will be fantastic. But it ended up being kind of not so fantastic, but because it was such a small film that they didn't really know what to do with it. You know, they had yeah. heard some positive buzz on it. Uh-huh. And then they were kind of treating it like a uh, a big film where they, you know, keep it away from people. They say, oh, you know, we have this special thing and you can't see it.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and it's such a low-budget movie. And if you watch the trailer, you know, you just go kind of like, well, why do I even care now? Now I'm just going to... Go on to something else. So uh, they ended up giving it back to us and uh, letting it go. But at the whole time they had it, we weren't really playing any film festivals because they were trying to keep it, you know, very under wraps. This is this they wanted to build it up as this thing that no one gets to see. This little golden treasure that we have. Yeah. And um, so once we got it back, we had to kind of start from the beginning and start playing film festivals again, reminding you know people had forgotten there it was even a movie. So I had to uh, start garnering buzz, playing festivals, getting some word-of-mouth going. And, and luckily, people saw it and, and liked it. And uh, eventually, last year, then Level 33 came on board
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, for the U.S. distribution, picked it up. And then, then Second Sight, I'm very excited to have on, yeah. has come on for the U.K. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's just a really long journey. Uh, any f- independent filmmaker should. And it's not a unique thing to our movie, as I've met other indie filmmakers i've i've learned that this kind of 3 year time span is almost like the average yeah. um it's really not too crazy so
1: yeah
2: uh, if you prepare yourself for that and realize i'm going to have to keep you know something going a normal job or whatever yeah. and and hunker down for 3 years then then you'll be much more prepared than i was <laughs> which is just awful.
0: well it's great that second sight have come on board for uk distribution so, what's next for you then, in terms of uh, projects that you're working on at the moment?
2: You know, I've got other scripts that I've loved to get on. The thing has been it's it's almost been a three-year full-time job just trying to keep up with all the stuff for *I didn't Come Here to Die*. That's yeah. really just the one. Now that the distributors are coming on, it's great because they, you know, will set up things like these interviews or yeah. the Facebook page. But up until then, it's been a one-man band and contacting festivals and doing all this stuff and um it's been tough to focus on writing or thinking about another project when you're so focused on this thing you did so long ago too so now that it's coming out um hopefully i'll be able to focus on writing i've got a bunch of other horror films i'd love to do and um hopefully uh that'll come to fruition here sometime soon
0: I Didn't Come Here to Die gets its UK DVD release on the 15th of April.
1: Friday Night
0: Frights. Well that's it for tonight's Friday Night Frights, but don't forget you can reach me via the Starburst website or on Twitter at Starburst underscore mag. Until next time, stay, stay scared. scared.
1: You're, nice. You're nice.